This is Tennis Quick Tips, episode 190. Hey, it's Kim from TennisFixation.com. I'm your host for the Tennis Quick Tips podcast. With every episode, Tennis Quick Tips brings you a quick and easy tip to improve your tennis game and to make sure you're having fun every time you step on court. So it is time for more talk about tennis rules and specifically more talk about hindrances. In this episode, I'm answering another question from a Tennis Quick Tips listener on hindrances. And I think you're going to want to know the answer to this question because I'm going to tell you just what I think you should do when your opponent is moving during your serve. So let's dig into hindrances. Now, if you've listened to past episodes of Tennis Quick Tips, then you already know how much I love to talk about the rules and especially how much I love to talk about hindrances. But here's a situation that I haven't ever discussed And I bet many of us have faced this on court. So Tennis Quick Tips listener Lolly asked this question. She says, Hi, I have a hindrance question for a doubles match. If I am serving, is my opponent's partner allowed to stand in the center of the court, right next to the net, moving from side to side with her racket in the air, not tiptoeing in one place. I found it very distracting and deliberate. I knew that if I hit her, the point was mine, but it was difficult to concentrate with her moving from side to side. Can I call a hindrance? It was a league match with no umpire. So, Lolly, thanks for sending in this really good question because I am sure this has happened to very, very many of us. And if you haven't thought about this situation before you get on court, you may not know exactly how to handle it when it comes up for the first time in your match. So let's figure this out so that when it does happen, you're ready. Now to figure this out, I first want to point out that Lolly mentions in her question that she was playing a tennis league match and there was no umpire or official available to help her. So this was an unofficiated match and my answer here is going to apply to that situation because had this been officiated, she could probably have gotten an official involved and put a stop to this. But as you know, there are some differences between officiated and unofficiated matches I recently did a whole podcast episode discussing that, so be sure to listen to that one if you want to make sure you understand what those differences are. That was in episode 185 and was called, What's the Difference Between Officiated and Unofficiated Tennis Matches? And I'll be sure include a link to that in the show notes for this episode, which you can find at tennisfixation.com slash quicktips190. So we're going to start right at the beginning. First, obviously, we're talking about an unofficiated match, but we're going to look at the rules to figure out what a hindrance is. 
if you've listened to this podcast again for a while, you already know what a hindrance is. But let's go over it quickly just to be sure. Rule 26 of the Rules of Tennis defines a hindrance. It says, quote, If a player is hindered in playing the point by a deliberate act of the opponents, the player shall win the point. End of quote. So notice two things here. First, the opponent's action has to be deliberate. That just means they have to be doing it intentionally. It doesn't have anything to do with what the purpose of their action is, just that they mean to do it. And second, and this is important for doubles, the act can be of either or both of the opponents. So the receiver in this situation could be the one moving around or the receiver's partner, the net opponent, which is what Lolly is talking about. Either one of those could be causing the hindrance. And so if the net opponent is moving around, it can still be considered a hindrance to the server by the receiving team. Each partner represents the team as a whole. And so it doesn't matter if the receiver's doing it or not. If the receiver's partner is doing something that's a hindrance, it's imputed to the whole team. So now we've talked about what a hindrance is. Let's look at the rules on receiving because these really come into play in figuring this situation out. First, rule eight tells us, quote, the receiver is the player who is ready to return the ball served by the server. Okay, that seems simple enough, but remember that word ready is in there. In the USTA's version of the rules, there is a case one, and the cases are included as part of the rules for the USTA. So here's what case one says. Quote, case one, is the receiver allowed to stand outside the lines of the court? Decision, yes. The receiver may take any position inside or outside the lines on the receiver's side of the net. End quote. Again, remember, this applies not just to the receiver, but to the receiver's partner, the team, the receiving team as a whole. So the receiver can stand anywhere, including outside the lines. You see this in the pros all the time where the receiver will stand well back from the baseline because the serves are coming so hard and fast. But it also means the net opponent, the other person on the receiving team, they can stand anywhere. They can stand right up at the net. They can stand in the service box that you're trying to serve to. Those positions are legal. So if you're the server and you look across the net and you see the receiver inside the lines or outside the lines or right in the service box, that's okay. The receiver can take any position they want to. And this applies to the receiver's partner too. They can be up at the net, back at the baseline, standing on the tee, or even in their partner's service box. Yes, the service box that you're trying to serve into. You won't see that too often because, as Lolly points out, if you hit one of your opponents with your serve before the serve bounces in the service box, you automatically win the point. 
This is set out in Rule 24I, which says that a player or team loses the point if, quote, the ball in play touches the player or anything that the player is wearing or carrying except the racket, end of quote. So players are usually smart enough to stay out of the way of the serve, but if you have a hard, fast serve, you could actually hit someone (laughs) before they get out of your way and get the point. Okay, what about receivers who are moving around while you're serving? That's what we're talking about, right? Well, the rules of tennis do not address this specific situation, whether that is in itself a hindrance or not. But good news, the code does. See why you need to know the code? Here's what the code says in the section on hindrance issues. Paragraph 35 says, quote, body movement. A player may faint with the body while a ball is in play. A player may change position at any time, including while the server is tossing a ball. Any other movement or any sound that is made solely to distract an opponent, including but not limited to waving arms or stamping feet, is not allowed. Thank you, Code. That sounds pretty specific, right? Any other movement or any sound that is made solely to distract an opponent, not allowed. Okay, now that we know what the rules and the code say, let's go back to Lolly's situation. Remember, Lolly's opponent was standing on court right next to the net, moving from side to side with her racket up in the air. The way I'm picturing this, if I saw this happening on court, Yes, it would be very distracting to me. I have seen something similar to this in matches I've played, and you probably have too. Receivers moving around while you're serving. Receiving partners swaying side to side, hopping up and down, moving back and forth, waving their rackets around into the service box area. The problem is, the question is, were they doing those things to distract me or hinder me? Or is that just their thing? Is that how they prepare to receive? Who knows? That's really the problem. They probably were doing those things to hinder me. Probably. It just seems like some of this excessive movement really couldn't have any other explanation. Surely, waving your racket around in the air doesn't help you to receive better. If anything, I would think it would make you receive worse. But here is really the meat of Lolly's question. The problem is, if these types of actions are being done to hinder me when I'm serving, what can I do about it? How can I prove that? How can I claim a hindrance because if I ask my opponent, are you trying to hinder me by by doing that? Of course, they're going to say no. While the rule on hindrances says that the movement must be deliberate, which it is, how can we prove that it was done as a hindrance solely to distract us? The code flat out says that a player can faint F-E-I-N-T, and change position at any time. 
So they can make these fake movements. For a movement to be impermissible, it has to be done solely to distract an opponent. How can you prove that? Again, if I say, hey, you're waving your arms around for no other reason than to be distracting, and that is hindering me, my opponent can just say, oh, this is just what I do. I'm not trying to hinder you. How can I fight that? And now I've not only told them that, but I've told them that their arm waving is distracting me. So, of course, they're very likely to keep it up. This is a situation where I just think it's very hard to get your opponent to stop doing the distracting movement that is hindering you by telling them that it's hindering you. So what can you do? Well, I actually do have some tips for you on dealing with this situation. And these tips, I hope, will help to avoid the problem of claiming a hindrance on your opponent. So let's talk about those tips. Number one. Realize that this is a tactic. First, and I honestly think this is the most important tip I can give you, realize and accept that this is an actual tactic. People do this intentionally, Lolly and everyone else, to distract you and hinder you. So you need to mentally accept that and, in my opinion, not just get comfortable with it, but actually be happy about it. Because I think when people rely on these kind of weird distraction tactics, it's because they're not 100% confident in their game. I don't do things like this because it does nothing to serve my game. I won't play better tennis if I wave my racket around or run into the service box right before I receive. And I don't think there are many players who play better tennis by doing this kind of thing either. So I say try a little mindset shift for yourself and realize that this is exactly what you think it is. An opponent who is using these kind of tactics as a crutch for some problem or due to a drawback in their own game. Number two, don't look at the receiver. Okay, so number one is a mindset shift. Big deal. What about number two? The next tip is just don't look at the receiver or the receiver's partner. I know this seems very obvious on the one hand, and I also know it is difficult to do on the other hand, because I usually look right at the receiver when I'm preparing to serve. I want to see where they're standing. Are they standing inside the baseline or way back? Are they trying to squeeze over and avoid hitting their backhand? Are they even ready to receive? I mean, I'm not supposed to serve until they're ready. There are a lot of clues you can pick up by looking at the receiver. But think of this. If your opponent is moving around in some way solely because they want to distract you, looking at them to pick up these clues might not be all that productive. So I'm not saying... Don't look at the receiver or the receiver's partner at all because a lot of times the partners get way over in the alley and leave the middle wide open. Give those players a quick look, process what you're seeing, and then look away from them. Look at something else as you're standing there preparing to serve. Maybe the ball as you're bouncing it. Maybe the baseline as you're bouncing the ball. Just give yourself a moment to look at something else 
and not think about the movements your opponent is making. Number three, think about your serve, not your opponent. Be sure you're thinking about your serve and not the movement of your opponent. You should be doing this anyway with each and every serve. You should be thinking about where you're going to target that serve, what kind of spin and speed you're going to put on it, what you're doing with your serve. But those thoughts can easily be disrailed if your opponent is moving around and distracting you. And that's exactly what they're hoping for. That's why they're doing it. So get yourself back into the habit of thinking about that serve right before you go into your service motion. Make a conscious effort to think about what best serves your game and try to avoid thinking about what your opponent would prefer you to think about, i.e. their distracting movements. Number four, catch your toss over and over and over. Okay, now let's get into some interesting tactics that you yourself might not normally do, but you can try out in this situation. So if you think your opponent is moving around solely to distract you, try catching your toss a few times. Remember, the rules of tennis allow you to perform your service toss as many times as you need to get it right. Rule 19 explicitly addresses this and says, quote, case one, after tossing a ball to serve, the server decides not to hit it and catches it instead. Is this a fault? Decision, no. A player who tosses the ball then decides not to hit it is allowed to catch the ball with the hand or the racket or to let the ball bounce, end of quote. So it is perfectly fine for you to toss any number of times. You are allowed to catch your toss several times or even let it bounce as you make sure you get just the right toss before actually hitting your serve. And this alone, tossing several times more than usual, may throw your opponent off as they may now be unsure just what your timing is and which of these tosses you're actually going to hit. Number five, try using a quick serve. Another tactic you can try that is completely legal is the quick serve. This means that instead of taking your usual time to hit the serve, you step up to the baseline and quickly hit your serve. Now, yes, you must be sure that the receiver is ready for your serve per Rule 21, but this rule also says that, quote, the receiver shall play to the reasonable pace of the server and shall be ready to receive within a reasonable time of the server being ready, end quote. So if you see the receiver standing at the baseline looking in your general direction, I would say they're ready and you can just go ahead and serve. Of course, this means that you might not have time to go through your normal service routine. You might not take the time to look at your strings and bounce the ball three times and adjust your hair or hat or whatever you usually do. But that's the whole idea. That's the point. You are trying to take away the time and the opportunity for your opponent to engage in their distracting movements. And be aware with these last two tips, the repetitive toss and the quick serve, you don't have to keep those up throughout the entire match. 
just doing them a few times might actually put an end to your opponent's distracting tactics. And if not, well, you have these tactics to keep your opponent off balance, and I would throw them in randomly throughout your match. Okay, number six. What about hitting your opponent with your serve? Now, here's the final tactic that some people will advocate. That is hitting the receiver with your serve. And I think this is probably something that could be used in a doubles match, hitting the opponent who's at the net. And here's my thought on this. Yes, according to Rule 24I, if the serve hits or touches the opposing player before it bounces, you win the point. And if that net opponent is stepping into the service box, or if the receiver is stepping in, they are taking a chance on this happening. But I, myself, I doubt I would be able to intentionally hit another player. First, not because I'm such a nice person, but I just don't think my serve is fast enough to do that. I think they would see it coming. And second, I don't think that I want to try intentionally hitting another player with my serve. But that doesn't mean I'm not going to try and get close to that player. And maybe that's all that's required. If the net opponent is standing anywhere near that T or that middle line of the service boxes, I have no problem trying to get my serve right up the middle and leaving it to them to get out of the way. So if your serve is good enough to do that, and I will bet a lot of you, if you're listening to this podcast, your serve is good enough to do that. If you can get it up the middle close to that net opponent, I would say you should try that. If you want to try hitting your opponent, that's up to you. Again, I'm not advocating that, but that is a tactic that's out there that some people would tell you to try. So as I said, yes, I'm going to try to get my serve in really uncomfortably close to that net opponent, and then I'll let them decide if they need to move to avoid getting hit. I have no problem at all with doing that. So those are my six tips for dealing with the opponent who is moving during your serve. I hope that helps you, Lolly, and everyone else when you face this kind of player I think just having a plan to deal with this in advance, thinking it out before you face this player can really go a long way toward helping you neutralize this as an effective distraction. Hey, if you're listening to this on Monday, April 27, the day that it comes out, I want you to know that there is still time for you to take advantage of free access to Tennis Summit 2020. I spent all last week viewing different videos and these lessons are really amazing and today is the last day you can access them for free. So if you're interested in that, if you want to find out more, just head over to tennisfixation.com summit, S-U-M-M-I-T. And you can see the information there. You'll also be able to Buy an all-access pass if you want lifetime access to these lessons. That's what I did. But even if you don't want to do that, I highly advocate going over there today just to see the last day of the free access to the materials. They're really incredible. 
And I really thank my good friend, Mir Bonaranchad, for putting this together and putting it out there for all of us avid tennis players. That's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. I hope that helped you. And as always, happy tennis. Happy tennis.